I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer, and it's great to connect with someone that I've known for a few years in the space. Dave Hendricks, the CEO of Vertalo, with me today. Dave, how are you? I'm great, David. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Vertalo is an SEC-registered transfer agent, stakeholder registry, and cap table platform for analog and security token offerings. And so this is something that has been talked about, the idea of tokenization, of using real-world assets and things that we as investors have known for years and looking to new ways to model them with the use of blockchains. And so Dave is going to go through all of that. But before we get too far into Vertalo and the mission that you guys are doing right now, would love to get a little bit of background, uh, how you got into this crazy world of digital assets, how you kind of found your way, and what really led you to understand the transformative nature of digital assets and blockchains. Um, well, thanks for first. Thanks for having me on the podcast, David. And um, it, you know, my my story about how I got into this is is it, kind of long. I'm going to kind of try to try to break it down. Um, I started out my career working for a company called Arthur Anderson. Um, if, if you're, if you're old enough or you study accounting in school, <laughs> small little you might be, fam- yeah, yeah, small you might be familiar with Ar- Arthur Anderson. Um, and I was not an accountant. I'm not an accountant, uh, by training and also I'm not a lawyer by training. So everything that we talk about today will be, uh, as I'm a lay person myself, uh, but you know, I'm a, a technologist and I started out working in uh, the audit division at Arthur Anderson. Ar- Arthur Anderson was, a, was the world's largest accounting firm. And as uh, someone who started uh, programming when he was uh, 13 years old, um, I was in the early days of uh, like computerization in business. People like me were in high demand. So I was hired out of Arthur Anderson um, to uh, right out of college uh, to run a, a computer team uh, for the audit division, and I got to I got to learn how to implement accounting systems. I got to learn how to build uh, databases to for litigation support, and then I eventually started working on securitizations because we were doing a lot of interesting projects securitizing assets. Um, and so I spent five years at Arthur Anderson doing all this kind of interesting technology stuff with networks and with databases or accounting software. I'd left Arthur Anderson and I went to work for an an Anderson client, which is what happens with a lot of people who work at accounting firms. And it was a, uh, it was a joint venture between a company called J.E. Robert and Goldman Sachs. 
And we were securitizing real estate assets in the wake of the Resolution Trust um, uh, Corporation SNL crisis. So I learned a lot about um, like securing ownership of assets, about ownership of real estate, et cetera. I went from there to Oracle Corporation, where I worked on the worldwide relationship between Oracle and Arthur Anderson. So back, I was back working in databases and accounting technology. And then I went and I started um, uh, running um, uh, uh, startups in, uh, in marketing and messaging technology. Um, my last company, uh, which I co-founded in 2009, had a diligence problem in its Series D. Uh, we had uh, we had an investor who wanted to to, um, to put uh, $25 million into the company. And most of the way through the diligence, everything was going great. And then they asked us for the records of all the people who worked at the company, like uh, all, the, all the things that they had signed. Uh, well, we didn't have a great record of, uh, of who had worked for us and what documents they had signed. And, you know, after I, you know, when I was thinking about my next thing, I went back to this due diligence problem. And in, in early 2017, me and my two co-founders, uh, William Bagster, who's our CTO, and Gautam Gudral, who's our uh, general counsel, said, why don't we build a due diligence platform for human capital data? And so we started building a blockchain-enabled due diligence platform. And we released that first version um, to my prior company in 2017, mm. in July of 2017. We were using smart contracts to connect organizations and the people that worked for them. Right. And, then, and, then, and then using using hashes to associate employment documents with it. So here's where things start getting interesting for your listeners. So in September 2017, we said, well, wow, all these people are raising this, these uh, non-dilutive rounds using this method called an ICO. Mm -hmm. Like we weren't, we weren't blockchain big time, like blockchain investors at that point in September 2017. We weren't early Bitcoin guys. We were technologists. We loved what blockchain did for databases, for encoding information, mm -hmm. for confirmation. So we wrote a white paper in September 2017, and then Gautam, our general counsel, took it to our lawyers and said, hey, we want to run a, a token offering. And they took a look at this, and they said, wow, um, this, is, this is probably not legal um, in the United States. Um, and we were like, oh, that's not fun. Um, we thought this was going to be a really easy way to raise money. Mm -hmm. But our lawyers and my general counsel co-founder and I got together and we said, well, why don't we do a Reg D token offering and, uh, and issue a token where there's an ownership stake? And instead of it being a non-dilutive, you know, kind of utility token offering, why don't we offer a dilutive security token, you know, in the form of company equity? Mm -hmm. And really not too many people had done that before T-Zero uh, had, had, had done one. Uh, Blockchain Capital was working on something. So in October of 2017, we started working on the Vertalo um, Talos token offering. We couldn't find anyone to help us. 
uh, we we found a couple of uh, kind of issuance platforms, but they were super expensive. And we had been writing smart contracts for a while, so we didn't need help writing smart contracts. So we worked with our securities lawyers. We worked with Deloitte, and we built our own um, sec- uh, our own token for issuance. Mm-hmm. And in March of 2018, we issued that token to 53 holders uh, under uh, a, a combined Reg D and Reg S format. But that is when that going through that process. David is what taught us everything. Right. It was because we are an issuer. And that's kind of that's how, how we got into this was we actually did our own issuance. So you got your feet dirty and that's how you learned. Oh yeah. Like this like the dirtiest nails ever. <laughs> it was tons of fun though. It was great. But that's that's what led to our to our signal insight. It's interesting because just thinking about that, a lot of what happened, and you and I have been in this space now for a few years, and so we can kind of opine about this. A lot of the things that I was seeing back then was theoretical. This, If this happens and this happens, if you have this kind of a consensus network and you have these type of validators and you can do this type of consensus or this and that, all these other misses and matches and all these other different kind of concoctions, and it was all theoretical. But to your point, and I think this is interesting for the founders who also listen to this, really it seemed like the best way for you to go active is to really just dive right into the deep end and teach yourself how to swim. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was pretty much it. I mean, everything that we learned about it, we, we didn't learn about this by speculating first. Um, we fell in love with the technology because um, we thought it was a really interesting way to encode ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, and what led us to creating Vertalo, which is a, a which is a, uh, like Carta for crypto was the first thing that people okay. uh, called us. Um, the, was that we knew that these objects, um, the, the, this, the tokenized uh, ownership, mm-hmm. we couldn't store it on a spreadsheet. Right. And we couldn't use Carta for it. And so by, you know, we, we had to solve our own problem. And so that, that I think is, I, I think that's usually the genesis of some of the best stuff. Like you're trying to fix your own, you're trying to fix your own problem. I'm going to ask you a question and it's not something that we necessarily prepared for, but I, I'm sure you can handle this. <clears throat> Myself and other people, um, people at my firm, others are trying to move the nomenclature from crypto air quotes to digital assets. And the work that you all do there is in my opinion, very applicable to digital assets. Would you agree that that's probably the proper nomenclature or do you have something else in mind? No, digital assets is actually the nomenclature that we use and I prefer. I stay away from the word so-called security token because that sounds like an RSA dongle or something like that. Mm. Um, it's also associated with a, with a weird hype cycle. Um, so uh, we don't like that. Uh, we don't love token um, because token just sounds diminutive. It doesn't even sound, doesn't sound substantial. Right. Um, and it, it doesn't really, doesn't convey the, the breadth. Digital asset is great because in our case, we can digitize any asset. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be any, any representation of actual provable ownership. We can transform into a digital asset. Right. Um, you know, say, say you have a, you have a, a very expensive supercar 
or you have a coin collection, or you have a plot of land, or you have an income stream, mm -hmm. if you have title to it, that's an asset. And the process of taking that from a, from a certificated form to a non-certificated form is to us the transformation of an analog asset to a, to a digital asset. Right. And that's the business. That's the business that we're in is that kind of uh, that, that transformational, um, you know, conversion from uh, a piece of script um, to something which is, uh, which is uh, electronically tangible mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and then immutable via confirmation, which is kind of the cool thing. So let's have a little fun. So I like to give people metaphors as they're trying to learn about this world. You said analog to digital. Would you kind of equate that to the move from vinyl to CDs? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, the the thing about vinyl is you can you can smell it, you can touch it. Okay, um, and uh, but the the problem with vinyl is that it decays very quickly, and so. Yeah. You, 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 if you record and, you know, back in the day, you know, you used to record vinyl albums onto cassette tapes, um, or go to concerts and record onto cassette tapes. Mm -hmm. And as the, as the, as the tapes get, uh, you know, uh, recorded again, you get generations right. and every generation, a tape, uh, uh, fidelity decays. Whereas, uh, with, whereas with digital data, um, unless the, unless you've got, um, a snip in somewhere in the file, there's no decay. Mm -hmm. The zeros and ones do not decay. Um, and they don't decay over distance uh, and they don't decay via copying. Um, and so essentially what we're doing is this is di digital copying, but you take an analog asset, you record it flawlessly once mm -hmm. and then it can be conveyed um, uh, error free, losslessly. Is that really, would you say that that's a pain point you're trying to address? Yeah, I'll, I'll say it's a I'll say it's a pain point because I'll tell you where things get lossy in analog. Um, when when Facebook Facebook had was a really really fast growing company. Um, it was really messy. If you watched the social network, you saw how messy it was. Um, and they had a lot of investors. They had a lot of early employees. They had a lot of co-founders. They had a lot of interesting kind of boardroom struggles. Um, they grew really quickly. They added a lot of employees. When Facebook went public, cleaning up their cap table took tens of millions of dollars because it was it was it was recorded loss in a very lossy way. Um, no one knew what they owned. Um, the the pools uh, of uh, how much could be granted, the preferences, the dilutions were not calculated along along the way. And so when Facebook finally went public, it cost a lot to unravel that. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, what, one of the reasons why digital assets are so good is because the, the, the um, one, uh, the provenance is so clean mm -hmm. and, the, and the title is clean and the ownership is direct. Right. And, and, um, and so the the process of taking uh, an analog spreadsheet, okay, or 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 a, or a handwritten ledger, mm -hmm. and then transmuting it, transforming it into a digital ledger, mm -hmm. preserves it in a way that even a photograph can't. Um, and 
and so the you know what what happens is over time um uh you know records get lost and uh intentions are misunderstood right and then and then tears ensue and i think a lot of the methods that we're employing right now are meant to reduce tears right. uh, ultimately at the end of the day so while i have you i want to talk about the state of tokenization so this was a a meme if you will a rallying call back about two years ago and maybe even a year ago per se but it was something that everyone was talking about you're going to tokenize the world from somebody out there that we know all well and good um but tokenizing the world has not happened yet um and we are starting to see some very interesting use cases and we're going to talk about that next but over the last few years, it was the talk of the town, and then DeFi took over. Everyone in this ecosystem started talking about open finance or DeFi. Um, and so I'd love for you to give us kind of a state of the state of tokenization. Um, and then I also want to talk about the infrastructure in terms of exchanges that have been an issue in the past. The idea of creating a token or as you mentioned, a security token. We don't really like that nomenclature either. But the idea of securitizing and then creating a token, but then having that token being a item that can be on an exchange was a flashpoint. It was an issue. So again, the state of the state of tokenization, where are we now? And talk about the infrastructure in terms of exchanges and everything else that's needed for this. Wow, what a fun question. Um, <laughs> So, um, so token, you know, like, like, uh, like it's been said, uh, people overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and they underestimate what they can accomplish in 10. Um, so there's, a, there's a lot of cheerleading around tokenizing the world. Um, but that, that cry, um, appealed mostly to a very technological, technologically savvy audience. Um, and, we noticed this in our in our own in our own um, in in our own efforts to to tokenize our equity, which we did in March of 2018. Most of our investors could not figure out how to use MetaMask. I this is this is this is ironic and sad. I even supplied the wrong address for my own for my own token distribution. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And. Um, it, it went to another one of my addresses, and luckily, because of our technology, we could we could actually um, we could actually burn those things and reissue them. So that's another matter entirely. But the the user interface for the blockchain, okay, it's a horrible phrase. It's like a horrible sound mm -hmm. sense I just used there. The user interface for blockchain has been horrendous. Yep. It's been inaccessible. Um, it's 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 nerdy. Um, it. It places the the requirement for private keys makes everyone nervous. The lack of a backstop, the screw ups. I, I saw it myself. I saw it in my investors. Mm -hmm. And so tokenizing the world had one major speed bump, and it wasn't even a speed bump. It was really a brick wall, and that was wallets. Um, the notion that people had to self custody their stuff mm -hmm. and there was no recourse. Um, I think that's very scary to an asset owner. Um, and so I think that's one of the things which really made this difficult. Mm -hmm. Now, if you, then, if you then imagine that these wallets themselves are, uh, are hard to prove ownership of, then what you do is you start finding regulators saying, well, how do we deal with AML issues? 
how do we how do we map the how do we know that the owner of this asset is who they say they are so how does an exchange trust the provenance of those assets do they know who actually owns that wallet right. can you prove it um, the regulators then took a look at this and they said, well, okay, well, uh, are we going to allow the same people that order match these assets to custody them? Does that cause a conflict? Mm -hmm. So, um, so when we, when we started down this path a couple of years ago, that the, the supposition by version one of the so-called security token, um, revolution was that token issuance platforms were going to produce tokens. Um, and that's what people were going to buy in, in the capital formation round. And then the, the result was that those tokens were going to be distributed to MetaMask wallets or my ether wallet, et cetera. That failed spectacularly. No, no regular investors were interested in having to buy a token and then to self custody them. Um, the regulators didn't love this. And what happened was there wasn't enough of a groundswell to drive the regulators to 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 work with you know these these wallets and and with these tokens. Um, and so th there there's a there's a reason why this thing has not taken off. Now this this is not this has not kept DeFi from growing. DeFi is a is a is is um, an area of intense interest by investors. And uh, and by um, you know uh, technologists alike because it's a super interesting problem, and it's very technical and it's very hard to do, um, to manage, and to and to master. But it, you know, DeFi for the most sophisticated blockchain savvy people mm -hmm. has been a great way to earn both active alpha and passive beta from sophisticated investors. And they could do it without having to worry about securities laws because most of this was related to debt. So DeFi has taken off because the rules for debt are just vastly different than the rules for equities, for securities. And they've been kind of out of the regulatory reach. Right. And so, and so you, know, you kind of take a look at those things as being, as being separate. But in fact, we think that they're going to converge and I'm going to get there in a second. Mm -hmm. We know they're going to converge. We made, um, we made at Vertalo, you know, we're, we're a digital transfer agent. Well, we, we, uh, we, we, we are a um, cap table and shareholder registry. We, we maintain uh, and steward um, uh, ownership records on behalf of issuers and investors. So basically mm -hmm. we, we, we encode, we encode asset ownership on chain. Right, and we use smart contracts to solidify the relationship between the issuer and the investor. Right, um, and it's not centralized; it's uh, it's the, it's 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 in wallets. Mm -hmm. But we realized that wallets were too hard for regular investors to use. So, so about a year and a half ago, we started developing keyless custodial wallets, which normal investors could use. Um, and what this does is it requires about the same level of savvy as using Coinbase. Okay. And we thought that really the, the digital asset space, specifically the security side of the digital asset space, really needed its own kind of coin base. Um, and so we started working on, on, on um, interfaces that, that kind of de-nerded, de-geeked out the, the, the user experience. 
Right. And so now you don't need to know how to use a MetaMask, but you can if you want. You can you can you can move um, uh, digital assets in our system from a uh, from a custodial keyless custodial wallet to a self-sovereign wallet if you can prove you own the self-sovereign wallet. And we do that by using a, a okay. mechanism like proving ownership of a credit card. Right. Okay. Now, once you can get regular investors and regular issuers off of the off of the ledge like this is too hard to use then they start trusting it for managing things other than crypto and they say yeah i'm going to put my regular real estate asset um on a on a blockchain enabled ledger and i'm going to fractionalize the ownership using blockchain technology like tokens what this does by making it easier and safer for issuers and investors is it broadens the base of assets available for collateralization. What Vertalo is working very, very hard on right now, it's a, it's a, it's a big focus of ours, is enabling a real asset owner to bring their asset onto our platform, fractionalize it, digitize it, tokenize it, whatever you want to call it, and then enable the borrowing and lending of that asset, similar to what you see with a compound or a maker or Celsius or right. centrifuge or those right. other folks. Once, once you've got contractual kind of confirmed ownership on chain and one of the instruments that we produce, either on Tezos or on, or on Ethereum blockchains, you can then borrow against that asset. You can apportion a piece of ownership, piece of that asset off, mm. and borrow against it. And this is where the so-called security token meets DeFi. And this is one of the areas where we're going to spend most of our time. Collateralization. The, yes, collateralization. Um, and this will come in advance of the exchanges, David. Because the exchanges, we're working very, very closely with the biggest exchanges. Mm -hmm. The biggest exchanges right now are focused on something called the good control location problem. The good control location problem with digital assets forces a broker dealer to be split off from custody. Mm -hmm. This is what's held the industry back. It doesn't hold back the value of digitizing assets, however. Mm -hmm. Digitizing assets creates collateralization opportunities, which expands DeFi. Right. And that's a really big opportunity. So the last thing I want to talk about is real estate. So a lot of people who listen to the show own real estate, have real estate holdings. And so I've heard that there's varying different reasons. So if you could kind of break down quickly some of the reasons why real estate is one of the most perfect assets to undergo this restructuring with digital securities and digital uh, kind of tokenization. Um, real estate's the world's largest asset class, um, right there with debt. Um, debt and real estate, trillions and trillions of dollars. Uh, real estate is the ultimate fragmented, disconnected asset class. Um, you've got very sophisticated publicly traded REITs, and then you've got this kind of small real estate fund that's managed on a couple of index cards between you know uh, four or five limited partners. Um, there are um, the 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 world the the world of 
uh, managing uh, real estate assets is stuck squarely in the 70s. Um, there's there's no uh, there's no blanket technology for managing GP and LP interests. Um, there's no standard uh, uh, data management tools, and secondary liquidity for private real estate assets is very difficult to find. It's very, very difficult to buy and sell interest in, in private real estate. It takes weeks and it results in something called the liquidity discount. If you can normalize the ownership experience, the document management, the, the, the contractual ownership of real estate assets, if you can normalize this, digitize it, then you can aggregate markets and you can create methods for marketplaces for exchange. What we are working on, and we just launched Vertalo Real Estate last, we just announced it last week, we launched it a while ago. Um, we are focused on normalizing the data management for real estate assets using blockchain-based technologies, and then digitizing those assets so that they can be bought and sold with less friction, both peer-to-peer, OTC, and also on uh, regulated ATSs like T0. Until, until you can normalize the data and until you can make the user experience better for the in, issuers and the investors, the GPs, LPs, et cetera, until you can modernize the cap structures, you can't get there. But that's what we're doing. Right. We're helping, we're helping to, to, to normalize the, the data management. And, and what this does is it makes everything apples to apples. And once you can do that, then you can run this stuff on, on exchanges. Or actually, it's really more like ATSs rather than exchanges. But if you look at other countries, you could say you could call them exchanges. All right. That was really, really interesting. And that was great insight into all of the infrastructure and the innovation that's happening there because um, – it's just happening so fast and you know there's so many things year over year the changes are tremendous and so we really appreciate that i want to switch gears we have a little fun at the end of the show with our guests just getting a little bit into their mindset and as i always say there are two things that we hopefully get to put into our brains in between our brains every day or every few days reading and music so we'd love to hear anything that you've read recently that resonated with you and any music that you like so um I love uh, biographies. Um, I, I don't. I don't have much. Uh, I don't have much appetite for fiction. Um, I bump into too much of it in my daily life. Um, so I've recently. I recently finished um, uh, the uh, Walter Isaac's uh, biography of Leonardo da Vinci. And I'll tell you, if anyone's listening, this still listening, I highly recommend this book. It's amazing. Um, what Leonardo did, um, he started more things than he finished. The few things that he completed rank among the top artworks and, and creations of Western civilization. He was a complete polymath and he just, he was open-minded experimenter who wasn't afraid to fail. And, and so I, that would, that was an incredibly, uh, uh, you know, incredibly inspiring book. And, you know, and everyone knows who Leonardo da Vinci is, right. but 
but the the breadth of his the breadth of his excursions and and, and experiments uh, won't be uh, will be news to anyone who hasn't read deeply on. Um, I'm also reading Walter Isaac, Isaacson's book on uh, Ben Franklin right mm-hmm. now, so I finished that one. And Ben Franklin is also a super interesting guy, um, and, and 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 he should never be forgotten. Um, and then um, and then music. Uh, so I'm, I'm a musician. Uh, I, I played in bands until really recently and pretty much until I started this company um, and uh, guitar, uh, lead guitar in mm-hmm. bands. And, um, and one of the, I, uh, I've been listening to early King Crimson recently. And, um, and it, it's it's really funny. Uh, if you run a company, you know that you go through lots of team members when you start a business. And uh, and and King Crimson has had something like nineteen or twenty members over its time, and it's been held down by this one guy named Robert Fripp. But um, but if if uh, your listeners, if they like um, uh, guitar driven rock. Uh, on the progressive side, they must listen to Starless and Bible Black or Red, two King Crimson albums from the early 1970s. And in the midst of the change that we're going through right now, I found these albums to be particularly um, like resonant for me. Mm-hmm. And then in order to sleep at night, I listened to Pink Noise. Huh. And there's an amazing Pink Noise soundtrack on Spotify. I highly recommend Pink Noise. I just pop a few melatonin because it's just been that kind of a last few months here. So, but uh, Pink Noise sounds pretty good. And I also I'm a fan of the classics. Muddy Waters obviously has a deep impression on me. Um, and so, really interesting. I didn't know that about you with guitar. That's really that's a, a really good piece of uh, intel. Well, when we get to see each other one of these days again, when this all ends, you know, maybe we can have a jam session. Um, so I used to, a long time ago, uh, guitar was my first, and then I, as people know, I became a DJ, um, and so I always had that musicality towards me. Um, my mother always asked me where the hell I came from, because it, no, it wasn't really in our family genetics, um, but uh, I guess I picked it up. Where can people find more about Vertalo, Dave? So you can always uh, visit uh, com. Um, I'm easy to find. I'm, I'm at Dave Hendricks on Twitter, et cetera. And, um, you know, and, and go to medium. We've got a bunch of stuff on medium under the, uh, Vertalo, uh, medium account. And, um, and, and hopefully I'll get to see you and everyone listening to this podcast at one of those conferences that we used to laugh about, <laughs> but now, but now, but now we all miss. Yes. Yes. And, uh, Hoping that sooner rather than later, but obviously hoping everyone is safe. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us all about Rotalo and amazing insights into the world of tokenization and the innovations with cap tables and everything you guys are doing there. We'll hope to catch up with you again in a few months and see how things are going. Thanks, Dave. Sounds great, Dave. See you, Dave. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. 
Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets.